Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Louisiana Farm Life Podcast. I'm Carl Wiggers. And if you've forgotten my voice, that's because we have been <laughs> off of the podcast for a while. Avery, you had a great explanation for where we've been. COVID. I mean, that's pretty much it. And Very reason, original. Well, I know, but the, the reality is to do these interviews, to be able to sit down with these folks, you got to get close to them. And we did not want to take a chance of getting anyone else sick or anything else. Just it got really tough with did the pandemic. You, did you get a little bit of taste of like, oh, man, I've missed this whenever you sat down with this today's guest? Oh, it was like trying to remember how to ride a bike again, but you never forget. You just get a little rusty. Mm -hmm. And so it was it was good to get back to doing these interviews where we talk to people about how they got into agriculture, how they got into farming and what they do other than farm. It's a lot more than just, you know, how many acres they farm and, and what their crops are, right? Yeah, it's definitely deeper. And that's what I love about the Louisiana Farm Life podcast is right. we're able to peel away the layers of the onion or the cake, if you will. So Avery, tell me about this week's guest, today's guest on this podcast. Well, it's in the title, so you already know. It's American Farm Bureau President Zippy Duval, And, you know, you, everybody associates him with the American Farm Bureau, with that position he holds, mm -hmm. and also being the Georgia Farm Bureau President. But at heart, he's a farmer, and he's a person who's been through lots of trauma in his life, right. especially within the last couple of years. But, you know, as you'll here in just a moment, things have sort of progressed, uh, and he has just remarried. Right. And so I got the chance to sit down with Zippy Duval and his new wife and talk about their Georgia farm life. President Duval, it's a pleasure to have you join us today. Uh, you know, a lot of folks know you as the American Farm Bureau president and pretty much might only know you that way, but you've been a lifelong farmer, third generation farmer. Tell me a little bit about your, your upbringing on the farm. Well, yeah, right now I'm living in my grandfather's house where he lived when I was a a young young child and then I grew up in the little house next door to us so this farm's been in our family probably since the uh, uh, early uh, late 20s the 1920s uh, I think they came here during the depression I don't know exactly the exact date but been here and grew up on a dairy farm my dad went back in the dairy business after he and his dad got out when I was uh, about eight years old he went back in the dairy business and he claimed he did it to keep his sons out of trouble so he gave us plenty to do, and he says, you're going to be so tired, you'll go to bed at night instead of staying out all night. So that's, that's where I grew up. Um, while I was in college, he had a heart attack and, and said, uh, either if I wanted dare, I had to come home and do it, or, 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 uh, or he was going to sell them. So I decided to come home and started daring, and then Bonnie and I got married, and we spent 40 years together here and raising four children. I dared for 30 years, got out in 2005. Why would you get out? Well, I was, you know, I was about 50 years old. Uh, I had went from 100 cows when I bought it from Dad to 325 cows. And uh, in the 80s, I diversified into poultry because the dairy was uh, in the red. Uh, and we, after building two poultry houses, I bought two of my brothers. And now we have eight poultry houses. And 
it was just more than one man could do. And so I decided to sell the dairy and replace them with beef cattle. How many beef cattle do you have? So right now, now we're running about uh, uh, 425 or 450. My son actually is running that side along with the farm manager that's been with me since, uh, well, for 16 years. He started work for me right after I became Georgia Farm Bureau president. And um, uh, so we got them spread over three different farms. My, my son has a farm about eight miles from here. I want to take you back to something you mentioned when you talk about your upbringing. You mentioned your father had a heart attack and was, was going to sell off the herd. What was that like for you at the time? I mean, you were in college. You had to make a decision that really was a life decision. Yeah. Where are you going to be? Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those guys, uh, one of those dairymen that loved the cows and didn't like the tractors. It's just the opposite of what you normally see in a, in a dairyman. He normally likes to be on a tractor and doing other things and not milking. I like to milk. So I'd come home on Wednesday from college, and I'd milk on Wednesday night. Mom would feed me. She'd wash my clothes. I'd go back, finish up the week, and then Friday afternoon I was expected to be here to milk on Friday afternoon, Saturday, and Sunday. And then uh, Daddy would give me a little money on Sunday night when I drove back to college. And I loved coming home. I loved the cows and looked forward to coming. So when Dad said that, it was hard for me to make decisions because I was on trail to be whatever I was going to be. You know, I kind of had in my mind I might be a lawyer. My daddy said I'd be a politician, and I said, no, nah, well, I won't ever do that. And, and uh, so that just proves your dad knows more about you than you, you, do, you know about yourself. <laughs> uh, so I came back home and uh, uh, started, I bought the dairy out from daddy and started dairying. And it's been a good life, been a hard life, uh, but it was a wonderful place to raise children. Were you worried at all when your dad had that heart attack that everything you knew could be changing that you could lose him i did and uh it was uh a very uh, i had him eight more years after he had his heart attack and uh, uh he actually he couldn't physically work but he rode with me a lot talked to me a lot you know answered a lot of questions for me taught a lot of things that I'm trying to teach my son and my farm manager now because uh, and we'll get into that in a minute I'm trying to help my farm manager have his own farm too so wow. uh, so we're all those things that he taught me I'm trying to teach my son and, and my farm manager now uh, but it, it was difficult uh, and the hardest part of farming is learning how to handle the money and getting through the highs and lows and be able to sustain yourself for a long period of time there are a lot of highs and lows in life in that, too. I know you had uh, one of your lows was losing Bonnie. Yes. Uh, Bonnie had been gone two years now, and uh, God's blessed me and brought another special woman into my life. And we were married about three weeks ago in the middle of December. Uh, but, yeah, you know, life throws you curves, and you have to be uh, mentally uh, ready to handle that. And my faith in God has gotten me through all that because I know that he has a plan for me. And he's not going to do me any harm, and he's, and he's, uh, he's going to be there for me. So you just got to put that faith where it belongs, where, where he deserves to have it, and, and, and just take it on yourself to do what God's will is in your life and make it through those difficult times. You know, probably some of the most difficult times was losing your mom and dad, uh, watching my son go to Iraq to war, uh, losing my wife, and um, the 80s. Farming during the 80s was 
as a young man was, you can't describe how stressful that was. And probably the only reason I survived it was because I was young and I felt invincible. You think you'd make it now? Uh, if you rolled things back with the same financial situation, it'd be difficult. It would be really difficult. And I feel for the young man that's gotten into the business in the last probably decade because a decade ago, prices were good. And they've went through a period of the 80s. The only difference was, which is a huge difference, is they didn't have the interest rates we had. We had 18% interest rates, which made it almost impossible to survive. And uh, they did go through that time with low interest rates, lowest I've ever remembered in history. And that's really been the uh, thing that's helped them survive through this, the ones that survived. But yeah, it's questionable. Uh, under the same financial situations I was in the 80s, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Mentally, would you be able to handle it? It would be a little more difficult now than it was when a young man. Just like I said, as a young man, you just feel invincible. Just, you know, whatever challenge came for you, you just took it on hard, you know. And now uh, at, at 65, uh, you know, sometimes you just don't have uh, the energy that you have then. You know, I, back then I could start before daylight and worked after dark. And I do that now, but not physically. And, and that, that would be hard. Because you kept doing more and more things on the side just to knit everything down together to have enough money to live off of and make the payments. Well, God blessed you through that, allowed you to get through. God's blessed you following the passing of Bonnie. Jennifer, uh, you just talking to you a little bit beforehand, it sounds like you have a, a very similar story. You, you lost a husband as well. Mm-hmm. And so did that, did that sort of similar situation help you and Zippy connect? Oh, most definitely. Um, I lost my husband, Bill, in May of 2012, and that was a hard year. I lost my husband in 2012 in May, and seven months later, my father passed away. And I was very, very close to my father. So the two most important men in my life were gone within seven months. And um, my children were grown. Uh, had a one that was a sophomore in college, had a, um, our son, and our daughter was in grad school. And I became a widow at age 48. And Bill had a very quick and aggressive cancer battle. He did not, his battle was not a long battle like Bonnie's. Bill was only sick for nine months, and it came out of nowhere. But I, in the past almost 10 years, before I met Zippy, um, I was I retired from 30 years of school teaching uh, as a teacher in 2014. I was okay. I was going along on my own and, you know, very independent, confident, and I thought my life was okay. And then we met at my brother, my brother-in-law, Bill's brother, Ricky, who actually had known Bill and Ricky and Zippy had known each other for about 30 years. And, so but, I knew her brother-in-law, but I didn't yes, know her husband. Yes, we did not know one another. We knew of each other. Um, of course, you know, I had heard of Zippy and Bonnie. Um, Bonnie and Zippy had heard of Bill and me, probably through Ricky, my brother-in-law. But we had he never met. He was my met. lending agent at, at Ag South, uh, okay. at Credit. Yeah. yeah. Um, but happened to meet at Ricky's uh, birthday get-together and connected that way. Um, and just 
I mean, we were we were the only two people probably there that had, you know, lost their first loves. And of course you connect through that way. And I think that's one of the things that I've helped Zippy and Zippy's helped me. And we talk about Bonnie and Bill all the time, all the time. Yeah. All the time. Um, our children have been wonderful. Um, some of our kids knew one another already, um, but Bonnie and Bill are always such a part of our lives still. Did we expect to be sitting here in these chairs, you know, together? No. Life, as Zippy talked about, you, know, you never know what path you're going to go down, but, you know, God has a plan, and this is our next chapter. She said two things that was profound to me after we met. She, she said, like she said, she said she was living and she thought she was doing well. She said, but there's a lot of difference between living and living well. And yeah. we are living well yeah. now. So, and the other thing is we talk a lot about losing our first loves mm -hmm. and what a impact they had on our lives. Yes. And what they helped us accomplish in our lives and who they made, who they helped make us, make mm -hmm. us into. So. Mm -hmm. We, we talk about them all the time, and, that, and that's really something special with Jennifer because we can sit down and talk about it. Oh, gosh, exactly. I, I so wish that Zippy had known Bill. I so wish that I had known Bonnie um, because I feel like I do know Bonnie because, you know, we've, we've talked about her so often. I feel like Zippy knows Bill because they're such a part of our life still um, with our children and everything. I mean, it's... They're, they're talked about often. Yeah. Does that help both of you not just, I don't want to say move forward, but does that help you emotionally, mentally to have someone who understands what it's like to lose that first love and to be able to connect with that person? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Our first conversation was Jennifer came to me and says, I understand you just lost your wife a few months ago. And I said, yes, and that started the conversation. And and, uh, and she said, if I can ever help you through the difficult times that I know you're going to go through, uh, you know, be glad to reach out to me. And it's interesting, <laughs> just a, a funny story. Uh, about a month later, I was sitting here on a Saturday night saying, golly, I, don't, I just can't stand sitting here by myself. So I called my friend and says, have you got Jennifer's phone number? I want to call her. And he says, you ain't going to believe this, but she just called me 10 minutes ago to see if I had your phone number. <laughs> wow. It's telepathy. It's telepathy. No, it's God. It's God. It's telepathy. I was about to say, that's a God moment there. Yes. That's, that's yes. definitely, you know. And we've seen that so often. Yeah, it's been all over it. So. I know for my mother lost my father when he was 51, she was 52. My mother's never remarried. And I know that she still has good days and bad days. Is it still like that for y'all? Are there still some days where it's... Yeah, you more, have moments where... Yeah, I was going to say more moments, yes. A song or, or, or something you see or, or smell or food or something that reminds you of your, your first love. And sometimes I'll catch her shedding a tear and she'll catch me shedding a tear and we'll just say, one of those moments, huh? Yes. And we just hug each other and get us through it. So. Exactly. Bonnie's buried here on the farm, and, and a lot of times in the afternoon we'll get mm -hmm. on the golf cart and ride blind and keep the flowers mm -hmm. on, a, on a, a grave. And Bill's buried in Madison, 
which is not nearly as convenient as Bonnie being right here. But uh, now they'll they'll always be. Able oh, to always, always, mm -hmm. yeah. always. So we wouldn't have it any other no, way. No. Um, and I think that our children have really appreciated because they've seen from the very beginning that um, Bonnie and Bill are, are an important part of, of us. Yeah. Well, um, and I think it's. It's one of the things I love about her. She let she allows and me, you too. She allows and you us too. That we, we're allowed each other to talk about our first mm -hmm. love. Mm -hmm. So Jennifer, you grew up in Madison. Yes. Not terribly far. Drove through. No. Gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous town. But did you grow up with much farming around you? As far as what you did, I mean, he was there milking cattle. Uh -huh. Wanted you know to to go and be in the milking parlor. You just got a Jersey calf. <laughs> it's interesting. Um, Zippy knew my daddy. My daddy um, managed Godfrey's Warehouse, which is the local feed mill in Madison. It's actually, I believe it's the oldest business in Morgan County, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. So um, my daddy did that for over 40 years. So Zippy knew my daddy. And we had, daddy had about 28, 30, around um, beef cattle on a farm. We, we, we lived in town. My mother's 91, still living. But anyways, um, Daddy had a farm outside of town, um, only about 30 acres, um, had, like I said, anywhere from 28, 30, 32 beef cattle. And so I, it was, farming was a, a part of my life, not to the extent uh, of zippies, but I went out with my daddy on many, many days out there growing up. Uh, my sister and her husband were like Zippy. Uh, they were dairy farmers. Uh, got out in the eight, late 80s, early 90s. And, yeah, so, I mean, I've been around cows. Really, I've been around cows all my life. Not dairy cows, beef cattle. Um, and not a huge herd. But, yes, I mean, I'm, I've, it's always been a part of my life a little bit. A Jersey calf is our pet. That's yes. Lucy. I've never had a Jersey before. So that was my surprise birthday present this year in October. Um, and she's amazing. <laughs> What's it like having Jennifer on the farm? Oh, it's fun. I mean, she knows enough about it to, uh, uh, to know what to enjoy in it. And since she's come here, we've gotten Lucy. And uh, Lucy gets special, she gets special treatment. She's the only animal that sleeps in, in the stable in the barn. And, and I bought her a few chickens to pick up eggs from. And, they're on strike right now. Yeah. Oh, are they? <laughs> they're, mol they're molting. They're on strike. So we'll we'll little uh, put out with them right now. But uh, but it's uh, it's been fun watching her enjoy the farm. And, I love it. And, uh, and a lot of times I tell her, "Let's go back to your house," and she says, "No, we stay at our house here." So she loves the farm. Mm -hmm, I do. I do. And it's interesting. Like Zippy said, picking up on little things that I haven't done in years. Just like when we were bottle feeding, when we were bottle feeding Lucy, mm -hmm. I haven't bottle fed a cow since I was probably a calf since I was, you know, 12 or 13. And it's just, ah, the sights, the smells, the feel and everything. Even the, the calf powder still smells the same. Big memory. She, she'll do anything. We was cutting, splitting wood last week. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, in Christmas. You work on a farm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I enjoy yeah. it. You'll do anything. I'm a, I do. I enjoy it. Well, let's talk a little bit about the future of the farm because you alluded to it a moment ago. You're teaching your son yeah. a lot about this. You're trying to get your farm manager his own mm -hmm. farm. Yeah. What's? Why do you think it's important 
to to pass that knowledge on. Um, and I, and I, in my head, I go back to you saying that you had your dad for another eight years after that heart attack. Right. And right. so naturally, I'm thinking you cherish that time, and you probably picked his brain during that entire time. Oh, I did. Time. I did. And you know, I remember all those conversations. I'd ask him questions, and he he'd ask me a bunch of questions around my question, and. I'd walk away like he had answered me, and what he did was just help me evaluate it and mm. draw my own conclusions. Because a lot of times if I pressed him, he'd say, well, what do you think after we've talked about it? And uh, so I, I've learned how to handle that with uh, with uh, George and my son, Zeb. Zeb's a veterinarian by trade, and uh, he tried to work out of his truck and do large animal around here for a while. And it's, it's That's a pretty difficult way to make a living. So. Uh, he was picked up by uh, genetic companies called Aspie Genetics, uh, and he does all embryo transfer and embryo freezing and uh, uh, doing all that kind of work with large animals right now all over the southeast. So he comes back in here on Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday, and him and George on the phone all the time, and they're actually doing the physical work and, and doing that side of it. And I've picked up where Bonnie had to leave off when she started getting real sick and started doing the bookkeeping and all the financial side. So I'm now trying to teach them how to handle the money that flows through a farm so that they can be sustainable for the future. Now, of course, you know, your home farm, you want to keep it for your family and your children. Uh, but my farm manager is a young man, same age as Zeb and my other son. And, uh, you know, and he'd been here 16 years, and I wanted him to have something of his own. So rather than take away from my family, we went off site and bought another farm with four poultry houses on it. I'm running it as a separate business. Uh, he's doing all the work and making all the payments. And, uh, you know, he has a life insurance policy on me to protect the loan. And we've got it, we got it set up so it'll pay for itself and he'll do all the work and it'll be his when I'm gone. And, uh, and he's just been absolutely amazing, young man, to, do that and and he knows how special that is but he doesn't have a clue how special it is to be. yeah he and his wife yeah yeah to be able to help another young man uh, do something that he loves to do like i did uh, because we all had to have the right relationships and the right assistance when we're young to be able to survive in this business why personally was it so important for you to be able to set him up that way uh, you know, it's, it's rare to see young men in agriculture, and it's really rare to find one that loves it like he does. Uh, and, and to be able to take a young man that really doesn't have an opportunity without somebody helping uh, and be able to make that something special happen for him, uh, it just really uh, uh, makes my heart feel good. Uh, and I'm not giving him anything. He's working hard for it. I'm just arranging it where he'll he can pay for it and have it when 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 I'm gone. Obviously, you were a young man once, as we talked about. You worked hard on the farm, just like George is doing. But your dad knew that you were going to go into politics, one way or another. How did you first get involved in Farm Bureau, and what led you down your leadership journey? So. The beginning thing is to teach you that your dad knows more about you than you do. Because when I was in college, I took a, a speaking class. And three weeks into it, I dropped it. And I think that's the maddest I've ever seen my dad hit me. And he, he just, he just, 
he very loudly expressed to me that you don't even know yourself, you don't know what you're capable of, and you just stop doing something that's going to lead you to bigger things in the future. And I said, sure, like most young men would, and went on about my business. So uh, later on, when I came back and bought the farm out, I still would finish milking in the morning, go over and eat breakfast with Mom and Daddy. And, uh, the barn's just right here, and where, I was, where they were living, they grew up, was right across the yard. And, and I remember talking about all the problems and milk inspectors and federal regulation and labor not showing up and tractors broke down and, you know, and, and Daddy said, you know, son, if you want to do something about regulation and stuff like that, says you got to, uh, you got to budget some time to get away from the farm, which will be good for you, and be part of something bigger than you so that you can make a difference in that area. And so he took me to a Farm Bureau meeting, and uh, they made me young farmer chairman that first night I was there. And uh, and, and we, we started on that journey, by, uh, and that was even before I married Bonnie. And uh, I went to a state convention, was part of the voting delegate session, and and realize, hey, you know, maybe this is something that would be important in my life. And and then they captured me at the state level and sent me to Washington on a young farmer rancher trip. And uh, and that was after Bonnie and I had got married. And it was like sitting down with two senators and your congressman, and they really acting like they were interested in what you had to say. And I says, you know, maybe there is something to this. And you know, kind of just started a flame in me that I have to be part of what's going on outside my fence rows to make a difference, not just in my life, but, you know, the industry and everybody in my community's life. And, you know, from that I went on and served on the Young Farmer Committee at Georgia, got elected as chairman, served chairman there, uh, was uh, also appointed to the AFBF Young Farmer Rancher Committee back in 1986. And in my second year, I was had the honor of serving as chairman of that national committee. And I, obviously, all our farmer, Farm Bureau members know that if you're chairman of the committee, you serve on the AFB of board of directors. So I served a year as a 30-year-old farmer on the board of directors of the American Farm Bureau. Mr. Grunyard was on the board at the time. I vividly remember him and what a great person he was uh, from Louisiana. Uh, and I can tell you stories of that year that's just branded in my mind because it was so impressionable to me. And just, you know, I remember when I said my speech at, at, in New Orleans at, and when, on my final address before I came off the Young Farmer Committee, a reporter asked me, so what you going to do now? And I says, I'm going to go home and make sure my county wins a state legislative award. And it took us three or four or five years to do it, but we did that. And of course, people in the community started seeing that I was willing to serve. I was recruited to be on the local rural electric board, was elected there. Uh, I uh, served there for 18 years and actually uh, resigned when I became Georgia Farm Bureau's president. And during that time, I served as county commissioner for, for four years, youngest county commissioner in this county. Bonnie and I had two children during that term. And, uh, and then I, came back to the, uh, let that go because I just had so much going on, it was difficult. And then in the early 2000s, my county came back to me, a lot of my friends wanted me to run for chairman. And I was serving as chairman of the county commission when I went 
to be uh, on the board at uh, Georgia Farm Bureau. How old were you at that first meeting, that one your dad took you to? Oh, uh, probably 20, well, 24. 24. Because wow. Bonnie and I married when I was 25. So probably 23, 24 years old. And uh, uh, it just became part of my life. Uh, it became an important part of my life because when I got to thinking about the issues we were facing, where do you go with that? Yeah, you can call you congressman, but what's that one voice going to mean? You know, you go to a Farm Bureau and become part of that, and all those many voices and often the rural America become one, and that's a powerful thing, and only 12, 11 other men know how powerful that really is because I'm the 12th president of American Farm Bureau. And I'll tell you, our members just have no idea how powerful that voice is at American Farm Bureau. It is unbelievable. The opportunities that, that we have to share our farmers' views and the opportunities we have to shape policy uh, as we move forward. And American Farm Bureau has done it for 102 years and been very successful regardless of who was in the White House or who was on Capitol Hill. You get a little emotional when you talk about that. I do. Uh, uh, you know, I'm just a farm boy. Grew up on a farm. And uh, God chose me to, to, to lead this organization and carried me down a path. Of course, in God's will, there's always our part to play. We've got to look for it and ask for the guidance. And, and we find that guidance through prayer. And prayerfully, he led me to this place. And to get, wake up every morning and realize that uh, six million members across this country is dependent on your ability to have the relationships and, and work with their policy book to make things happen is pretty an awesome responsibility. Uh, and I, I don't take that for granted. And that's, that's why it becomes emotional to me. If I talk about my family, my farm, and my Lord, and Farm Bureau, I'm going to be emotional because it's that important to me in my life. And it should be that important to every farmer rancher across this country. If they just had one inkling of uh, understanding how important it is for us to come together with that one voice and deliver it to the right people through the right relationships. Jennifer, what have you noticed when being with Zippy, and he's talking about Farm Bureau. He says he gets emotional. He's, I know he's passionate about it. What do you see? Well, you use the word passionate. That's the first thing that I always see, is that he's so passionate, and it's also heartfelt that I mean, I just think of him as as my zippy, you know. But when I see him speaking to a group, working here at the farm or working in Washington, I'm in awe of just the hard work and dedication that he puts forth to be that voice for farmers and ranchers across the United States. It's just such, such dedication and love, just a, a love for, for everything that God's provided through agriculture, but also just the, 
trying to look out for all of these farmers and ranchers and their families. You know, that's one of the things, uh, you know, that my passion of caring for farmers and ranchers is one of the things that led me to, uh, is to make sure that we have a better connection to our grassroots. I think that was one of the biggest things I discovered when I went to American Farm Bureau. The further away you got from your member, the less they knew about you. And they knew a lot about their county, they knew a little less about their state, and they knew a lot less about American Farm Bureau. And, and one of my goals is to make sure that everybody that works at American Farm Bureau and everything, effort we make is to tie us closer back to our state and to our county Farm Bureaus so that they feel the value of that three-legged stew. Without one of those legs, our organization doesn't really work. Uh, and, and, and the value is all of the three levels of this organization working together to create that policy and that one voice. The other thing was um, uh, just, just the experience that I told you about going through the 80s. I remember, because back then you didn't have 24-hour news. You watched the news at 7, 8 o'clock at night or 11 o'clock. And on the world news, just about every night during the 80s, there was some farmer upside down somewhere on their loans committing suicide or hurting someone else in their family because of the stress they were going through. And once the stress of losing Bonnie came along, uh, we discovered there's another there's another part of Farm Bureau that need, we need to be tending to, and that's the mental health or the mental stress of, of farming. And that's why we started uh, Farm State of Mind and done a lot of work in that area. Uh, you know, I get emotional because what we do every day not only makes life on the farm better, we may be saving someone's life through the efforts uh, in our uh, in start Farm State of Mind. And that, that really is emotional to me. If we can just save one person from harming themselves, or one person help them get through a difficult time, like we all as farmers have experienced, uh, then then all the time and effort that we put into it is is time and effort well spent. Uh, so I, I get real passionate about all this, and you know I used to think when I was a young man, if you saw an older guy cry, he was he was weak. I'll tell you, tears and emotion is passion, mm -hmm. is love for what you do and the people that you serve. And, and working and living in this in, on this earth is about servanthood, servantship, serving others, and that's that's really the that's what life's all about. And I am honored and privileged to be able to serve in this capacity. See, I think it takes someone to be strong to be able to show that emotion, to show exactly what they're feeling when they're feeling it, and not hide behind some kind of shell if you will. When you do that, that's when your body can't take it anymore and that's when you have people hurt themselves. Uh, we, should, we should be able to erase the stigma around mental stress and we should be able to help make people realize that saying they're not okay is okay. Mm -hmm. and, and whether it be a friend or pastor or a professional or just the Farm State of Mind uh, website, uh, it's whatever it might take, let somebody be able to help them get through that difficult time. A lot of time, all it takes is an ear, somebody to listen to me. That happened to me by a reporter from the Dakotas. I don't even remember his name, but he lent me an ear during a podcast one day, and all that pressure that was built up to, in me about Bonnie's death came out. 
and it was it was a learning experience for me and uh, gave me uh, an opportunity to start thinking straight and realizing what I had to focus on to make uh, to go through life without body. I'm going to kind of turn this a little more light just because I know we're going to we're, we're at the wrapping up point. Uh, I've gone a little longer than I had planned to, but it's because you've had so much good to say. I always say an interview lasts as long as you're willing to talk. Um, you talked about going back to the grassroots. You visited all 50 states, if I remember correctly, at I've least once. all 50 states and already visited 25 more this last year. Right. So you're on round yep. two of visiting all 50. That's right. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot here. <laughs> I know which, what you're going to ask. You know what I'm going to ask. You know what I'm going to ask, and you know there's only one right answer for one of those questions. Which was your favorite to visit? Which was your least favorite to visit? Oh. 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 Well, let's just say Georgia is my least favorite because I knew all about it. I already knew. I already knew all about it in this home, you know. Even though I love every one of the guys here in Georgia, and they've been so good to me, I can't tell you the friends I have in Georgia and how good they've been to me. They're great, great farmers. Uh, but you know, I'm talking to you. I can't. I, I just came back from Louisiana. I saw crawfish, sugar cane, uh, and cattle. Uh, See, the right answer. Rice, <laughs> rice. Uh, what an awesome agricultural state it was. And, and uh, really and truly, I probably learned more about rice and crawfish because that's the least, what I knew the least about. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the good, that is the wonderful days of this job. When you get to go out and meet a farmer rancher on his farm and be able to see what he's actually doing, especially in a commodity that you're not used to. You know, but I could go talk about cherries in Michigan. I could talk about uh, uh, other fruits and vegetables and the unbelievable agriculture in California. Mm -hmm. Upstate New York is absolutely beautiful in August. Uh, Idaho in summertime, it, I mean, the plains and the colors of the grain growing, unbelievable. Uh, so there's just a hard, it's hard to pick a the best place. They're all the best in their own way. Um, but I tell you what, when I see these pine trees of Georgia, it's, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. It's home. It's home. It's home. Yeah. It's home. You know, right, right in front of me and behind you is an old red barn that my grandfather built in 1939, about eight or ten years after he'd come here. And it is the centerpiece of this farm, and we maintain it to a point to, to just show the heritage of, of our family and and what agriculture looked during the 20s and 30s. No, you never want to forget where you come from. No. no. It's what makes you strong. It's what helps you get through. I don't want to be the one to let that barn down because it's part of my family, you know, and I'm sure my son won't, you know. So, I mean, it, uh, you know, people talk about farmers and they're land rich. That's true. Most of us are land rich and cash poor, uh, but land, as part of your, it's like part of your home. Uh, you know, how many times people said, well, just cut off an acre and on the corner down there, let me build a house. And I, my comment to that is that's like selling the door off my bathroom. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. My farm, as it is, is my home. And I'm not interested in selling any part of my home. Well, we appreciate you in letting us into your home and onto your land, spend some time with you and Jennifer, getting to meet Jennifer for the first time. It's been great. 
Um, but I know we took up more time than uh, you probably planned, but I appreciate you spending time oh, This has been awesome. Uh, we don't mind sharing no. it all. No, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, uh, farmers and ranchers share their farms with me all the time, and, and uh, I'm very grateful for that, and I'm always willing to give back that, that same kindness. You know, uh, when we was talking a little bit ago about our farms and how it becomes part of your family, I, I tell you, I, I guess the most time I get agitated is when I see the misinformation on social media or on, in a newspaper or on a, on a TV uh, program about how farmers mistreat their land and how we're causing all this trouble. I just told you what this place meant to me. Why would I hurt it? Mm -hmm. Why would I do anything mm -hmm. to pass it on in less uh, condition than what I and My goal is to make it better. And if you saw pictures of it back when my grandfather had it compared to what it is now, I mean, my dad did a tremendous job, and I've continued that work, and I know my son will do the same thing. Now, you can't pass down what you run down. No. This farm is in best shape it's ever been since my family's owned it. And, and, yeah, we still got some more work to do, but you just can't get it all done at one time. Avery, I love the way that you had to ask him. You had to just ask him his favorite and least favorite states to visit. You can't put the president of American Farm Bureau on the spot like that. That's my job. I mean, come on. I've got to ask the really tough question. The hard-hitting right? question. <laughs> of course, he answered Louisiana. That was a great visit that he had just it was. a few months ago here in, in the state. And we also, while he was here, had him on another podcast of ours, the Grassroots Government Podcast. We can link that in the show notes for anyone that wants to hear about his visit that actual week that he was down here for Louisiana. But also he finished right there at the end talking about conservation and, and really preserving the land for the next generations, which is a cool theme that we talk about all the time on this podcast. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a really cool way for him to finish on his on his own volition. You didn't even but, see that up. No, I didn't. And But it makes so much sense because that barn that his grandfather built in 1939, he takes such pride in it. The fact that when he bought the farm from his father, it was only 100 acres, now it's 600, and he wants to make sure that not just his son, but his farm manager, they each have their own operation. And I, that just, it, it, you can tell it means so much to him. And there's so many stories that we shared through this mm -hmm. time, even a, after the podcast. Yeah, there was a lot more than just the podcast interview portion of the, of the you were shooting a TV story also yeah. that we can link in the notes, but y'all were, y'all visited the whole farm. Y'all got to go all the way around, right? And got to see... Like where the cemetery is on his farm and also where um, there was some Civil War activity. So, wow, yeah. yeah That's General cool. uh, William Sherman uh, went through that area of Georgia and was burning every farm and every town along the way except Madison, Georgia. And President Duval tells that story so well that I'm going to put it online as a little extra clip okay. because I couldn't fit it in my TV story. I couldn't fit it in the podcast. So we'll put it just out there as it's an extra be there few somewhere. days. We'll find it. We'll, when, when that goes out somewhere, we'll link it in the show notes. But thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Avery, for the podcast interview uh, with President Duvall. That was a really great conversation. And uh, for all of you listening, thank you so much for, for keeping us in your feed, even though you may have forgotten about us. Uh, we promise we, we have not forgotten about you. We've been really getting after trying to get this back on the market. Yeah, we're going to make this at least a monthly for podcast sure. throughout this next year. That's We've, we set a bunch of goals. That was one of them. And we're hitting all of our goals 100% of the time. For sure. For sure. Thanks again for listening. Please leave us a review. Let us know what you think about the podcast. 
Share it with a friend. That really helps us out as well. For all of us here at Louisiana Farm Bureau, thanks for joining us for this episode of Louisiana Farm Life. We will see you next time.